biometric recognition, again, like we would feel like that we are identified 100%, like it's only you, but actually your template that is stored of your biometric data and the sample that's taken when you present to a system is compared to other data in that set. And then there is a threshold that would be set, say, 90% or something, that says you are you. So it's never 100%. Even biologically, you are not you 100%. It's 90% you and it's enough, it works. So this is what it is. And like, if you look at some of these things, they're very funny. You're like 62% mother. <laughs> what does it mean, 62% mother? It, it flies in the face of everything, how we experience the world, you know? Olga Gudjunova is a scholar and curator in the fields of digital media arts and cultures. She lives and works in London, which is precisely where her digital subjects project started, as the byproduct of a chance discovery, which she recounts at the beginning of our conversation, related to a marketing technique known as hyperlocal advertising. This rather random realization gave rise to her research on digital subjects, a thorough investigation into the political and technological implications of current data collection practices, but also into the actual concept of the subject. People as data as persons, as Olga put it in her first paper on the topic. Essentially, she looks at how the notions of self and subjectivity intersect with massive databases, privacy, machine learning, and all of our associated misconceptions. In this podcast, Olga Gurionova talks about the shelf life of marketing data, about legal persons, reading statistics as poetry, and the many mysteries of personalized targeting. So digital subjects is the, um, this idea that I've been working on for years now. Really, I should have already written this book, which is still in, in the process of being written. And um, it began with um, a very weird encounter that my uh, PhD student, she was working in, in, in marketing, digital marketing, and she went to a lecture of an uh, advertisement company and they were demonstrating their product and zoomed on a neighborhood and on a house. And she knows me, she knows where I live. And she thought she recognized me in that um, presentation. And that was so um, bizarre because it, it was clearly not me. Like, right? It's like, it can't, it can't be me. But at the same time, it's really no one else than me. Right? So you have this and someone else can encounter you in this kind of situation. And, and what is this you? Uh, what power does it have? Does it feed on my actions only? What kind of agency it acquires? How it can act back upon me? So I started thinking about it and uh, looking into the, the history of the idea of the subject and looking at what's written about this because there's a lot of also concern of course about all the personal data that's collected post Snowden there's, a, there's been a big um, kind of concern and surveillance and this idea of kind of total capture of everything about you and it creates this illusion that it's some kind of um, 
uh, like a spy assembling a, a, like a dossier on you, on who you are, like a total copy of everything you've ever written or everything you've ever posted online. And a lot of kind of films or kind of cultural figures are about this digital copy of you and the books also that have been written, they, they talk about this digital self or the idea of kind of self-copied in this digital world in data. And um, when I started looking into this, I discovered that there's nothing like this at all, like nothing at all like this. So you have a lot of it comes from categories and uh, very classical classification. So if you look at um, even like basic Google Analytics, they would have one user would be just a, a chart and bars of number of sessions that were clicked in a certain category, even male, female, or age, or interests. So it's never really granular, it's never individual. And of course, there are systems that allow very personalized targeting, but generally in commercial use and in kind of widespread use, it's never it's never a copy of you, it's never actually uh, you. So it's kind of less than you in this kind of little attributes and patterns and then also more than you because it's always related to, to categories that other people could fit in. So it's always about kind of regularity in society and what other people might do. And if you don't fit, if you're like a complete weirdo, you wouldn't be even, you would be just discarded because it's not um, useful. So the, the beginning was that uh, of this um, study was that I was looking at how these digital subjects are constructed through these practices of, you know, data gathering, categorizing, and then machine learning, which kind of builds on these categories in a way in which they become much more fluid compared with traditional classification. So they're not as normative anymore. They're not like about the norm. You can actually appear like different uh, gender depending on how how many sessions you click and how you identify it. It doesn't really matter. So it it's appears it's more flexible. And then there are, of course, kind of mechanisms of prediction and models that kind of spin this, uh, these patterns in a way that produce these really new entities. And at the beginning, I uh, looked at it and I wrote, I came up with this idea, the notion of distance, that in fact, uh, between me and this thing that my students saw, there's a distance. And this distance is where construction happens. And also it's very important politically because if you have distance, then you can also interfere in it. Because if you just have direct capture, there is like no escape, right? Uh, so, and, and there is never direct capture because data is not, uh, it's always constructed, it's always interpreted, it's always delimited. So um, I wrote about this idea of distance and then I started thinking, about the notion of the subject and whether it's subject or whether it's self or whether it's person or whether it's subjectivity because there are so many different terms and of course the the notion of the subject itself is also founded on distance because it's kind of it's a um, modern notion starting from uh, maybe Descartes and it's kind of um, been criticized uh, a lot and um, it, it starts from this idea that you look at yourself so you already form a distance within yourself to be able to look at yourself and inspect your own thoughts and actions so it presupposes some kind of turning around to look at yourself this kind of some kind of distance and so I thought 
maybe these things work so well because we are already used to distance. Uh, so we are produced through this distance in other things as well. And that's why these digital constructions work so well because it kind of adds onto the distance. We are already um, trained to, to kind of function with in a way. So f uh, I was um, then thinking there can be any anything uh, that's positive because, you know, this distance in subject construction was always uh, also um, claimed to be responsible for violence, for dispossession of, of different peoples and uh, like the modern subject be, uh, formed through this distance also allows for colonialism. And then we kind of need to think really about whether there is a possibility of different kind of abstractions and distancing uh, rather than just rejecting all of this because it's not going to be useful. Really think about um, whether abstraction and this distance could be also something um, productive and can be different. What I discovered, or what I'm kind of currently trying to, to develop and, and write about is that um, because machine learning, so machine learning are the, the kind of this branch of artificial intelligence that is about uh, models that can learn with experience. And uh, so when people talk about prediction and probability, it's usually about machine learning models that can generate this new things out of existing data so that you would have, for instance, your data, but then there are models that would look for people like you or for people who act like you or for people who behave like you or for people who like things you like. And this could be very loose association. So it's not... There's a lot of, of stuff that is inferred and, and uh, projected. So I came to think about this as ideal, that some kind of return of ideal. And ideal here is like it has two meanings. Uh, one is... Um, mathematical ideal that is opposite to real so you have like a projection so you would have a system mathematical system and you can predict that there must be something missing that you can name because the relations in the system say that there should be something there and so you name it and then at the next level of mathematical analysis it becomes like its own agent so that's like one meaning of, of the word ideal and another is of course the more common kind of normal way we talk about it the ideal is the best the the most desirable the most useful the best working and when you look at how things are used for instance like Cambridge Analytica uh, scandal and you look at uh, some articles that probably um, are the foundation of what they did so they take likes and then they map them onto five-factor psychological model. And then from that, they map that onto also on uh, to political intentions. So uh, and the, the claim is that it's very, very personalized. But in fact, they create by choosing specific frameworks because you can't do data exercise on unlimited amount of data with like all your personal data it's not possible financially or ecologically you have to set up frameworks and 
uh, ideal outcomes and in marketing would be called ideal customer or ideal product or like a situation you're actually exploring. So if you're setting up ideal voter, that would be an intersection between specific personal characteristics, but they're not very personal. They are just from that five-factor model with specific likes that also shared among people. You set up this kind of ideal subject and then through this data crunching, people can fit into certain ideal model subjects. So what I'm now trying to figure out, like what are the, the sources of this ideal? So I think, I think surveillance and concerns about surveillance are very, very important. And But before kind of looking into that, I want to really understand how things work so that we can actually uh, know where you can intervene, you know, um, and I think in, in data crunching, because because it's such an omnivorous practice, machine learning, and it can use models and systems and setups from really different disciplines. And, and there are all these points of entry, and not only that it's kind of human, uh, it's also within models themselves, you have experience recorded. So you have lots of entry points. And, and I think what is produced, this subject, they are ideal subjects. You know, they are what's desired. If they are not useful, they are discarded and you will n your data will not be used if you're not um, uh, profitable or you don't fit into a segment. And I think it's very interesting that we came to this, no uh, like from certain idea of norm or um, repression based on normalization or um, of fitting in specific kind of political or economic place that kind of very strict norm or discipline is, is seems to be gone because it's all very fluid. But what we have is this proliferation of this ideal subjects that you kind of drawn to or you think, ah, oh, that's not me or like you're constantly facing suddenly this ideal subject of, of you that's constructed using whatever needs that the businesses currently have. And you can respond to it, you can ignore it, but it's uh, ideality is very interesting because I, I, I think it, it's like from 19th century almost, you know, it's not, uh, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with propaganda systems or maybe it, it's, I, I'm not yet sure uh, what kind of sources for it, uh, where it comes from. Like I'll tell you an anecdote. So I um, bought some dresses online and then uh, I, I guess the, the shop sold my data and in the next kind of two weeks I had like 15 catalogs uh, paper catalogs came through my mailbox of brands I've never heard about and I thought like okay so they identified me as uh, the kind of high likelihood of spending in the next seven days because it's a category and of specific kind of, of dress and amongst these uh, catalogs, there was uh, a brand that is um, belongs to the uh, wife of Cameron, ex-Prime Minister of Britain. And when I saw that and, and her face on the cover, you know, uh, I thought like, so they identified me as liking a certain conservative clothing because it's quite conservative style. 
First, I was annoyed that there was this old paper that I don't want to, you know, waste. Then I was horrified that there was this conservative clothing, that conservative style. I was identified as liking conservative style. Then I started doubting myself. Maybe it appears like this. Maybe not only computers, but also people would identify my clothing like this. So I, I was like misrecognizing myself and also kind of um, uh, appalled. And then of my bank sent me a new card because obviously they identified that I'm at risk of fraud. So these are all operations of ideal subjects. You can say that there is like an ideal subject of fraudster that was activated in relation to my activity. The ideal subject of this style that was hopefully misconstrued, but they are all ideal subjects. And, and um, then they come back to me and I, I encounter them and I can uh, say, oh. And of course, in, in the case of shopping, it's pretty innocent, right? Uh, I'm sure like when it's concerning detention and consideration there or refusal to get bank loans it's much more sinister but i think once we understand like what is this because they are like this ideal model subjects that are produced and then evaluated and then what you what the action that's kind of you get is not because you are evaluated but because the ideal subject is constructed I don't think there is a possibility to do like this personalized exact targeting because it's not about singular singularization because what's useful is always groups of people. It's never at the level of the individual, it's, it's less than an individual and more than an individual. So to me it's not a glitch, it's exactly how it should function. My taste probably falls somewhere in between in between different categories and there isn't a category for that and the question is not that the category cannot be created and then it will be perfect because if it's a category of one it's not useful so it's never related to your lived experience to to you as a singular subject as we we in kind of the art world and in, in, in literature you know in film we we have this expectation of the subject is this unique Uh, absolutely authentic, absolutely one only ever whole thing. And I think it it blinds us to what this process actually are because the aim is not to reconstruct your unique whole and target you precisely. The aim is to create ideal model that would fit quite a few people or would actually not be related to any people at all. There could, could be potentially some people, but it's not really important if they don't exist, you know, because that's how it works. It's like you can get data on people and then formulate something that might refer to some people, other people, but we don't have to have their data, they don't have to exist. So it's all about this kind of prediction and probability, but it's not ever at this level of the individual. Like if you if you look at um, Google Analytics categories, although they are very long, there's a long list, there isn't interest in art at all. You have fashionista, you have uh, maybe film cinema goers, but there isn't art, like it just is not there. There isn't any attempt to understand you as a, as a personality, true personality, to target you better because it's not, It's not useful, it's not doable, you know. It's always about this little mark, markup. You're marked as potentially something, and 
you might fit this ideal subject of someone who likes conservative clothing. The fact that I didn't click doesn't really matter, you know. Targeting me, trying to figure out what I would like, it's just not cost-effective. It's not how data, you know, analytics would work. And um, that's why I think a lot of the messaging around this absolute personalization is, is PR, actually. It's just PR from the industry because... Um, it triggers in us this expectation of personalization as something that happens in relation to our unique personhood. And this is, you know, rooted in the very old kind of notion of substance. First, like, godlike, and then you have, like, this human substance that absolutely unique. And this is not how um, humans are figured in, um, in data an- analysis and also because they are not privileged like they're privileged because it's a source of cash but you can have data on function of prostate or on um, DNA and or on on brain scans or on climate uh, measures and the processes are the same they create probabilities that help evaluate something but it's not ever like this is what will happen to you personally but it doesn't mean that it's not dangerous or it's uh, it's all okay because it's not really you know it's it's even maybe more dangerous because it's not about something we can easily identify like the repression of a category or a norm or old like very clear bias that comes from uh, something it's difficult to identify where this ideal subjects come from what what is the ideality that they rely on? Who and what produced it? You know, it's and potentially it can be very dangerous, like with elections, because you uh, they can be used uh, effectively. It doesn't matter that it's not very personalized. It it still triggers a response in people. Yeah, I mean, maybe we're talking about like multiple things here that you have social media that. Um, uh, tend to uh, with the the way their algorithms personalize and um, try to lure you, lure you in, uh, direct you to more and more extreme content, and and in that sense, it's also an ideal subject of like ex- extreme view that you're drawn to. I think there's there's a lot of kind of there's a lot of these processes of of of. Um, where the distance is, and there's a distance between you and this ideal model subjects, and you can respond, or you can say, "Oh no, it's not me," or you, or you, you not would not even say this. You just respond emotionally to something that you're presented with, and it's kind of granular uh, to an extent, but is not is not completely unique as to one person. It's a very good uh, question about uh, how. Like if you think about this abstract ideal subjects, model subjects as not only in egotistically, it's like, oh, what they do to us, but what they do to at different scales uh, to society and societies and communities. And I think that's why it's useful to use the term subject and not self, uh, because subject is always is a work of abstraction, uh, historically as a term, and it always has this attention between, inwardness and and certain kind of universal universality and i think what happens is that once these ideal subjects are produced 
they start acting as agents in this other decision-making, planning, modeling, government uh, action, or, you know, um, they get put whether they're correct or not, whether they work or not, whether, you know, kind of taking in everything we said about this kind of story of me not recognizing me in this um, uh, conservative uh, dressing. Um, These kinds of, maybe not specifically with style, but I'm sure there would be things there like spending capacity, your address, uh, your kind of modeling on the postcode. So these kinds of projections would then start acting as entities that have a, a say, a voice, on the basis of which certain decisions will be made. So um, that's why I think uh, it's really important to kind of think about how they are ideal and not... Um, what, what would you use, like, um, inevitable or objective? Or um, I think it's still um, something to figure out once you have the ideal. Of course, you always have real. It's like um, just by constructing this, you always construct two levels immediately. And so that's another thing is that I, I haven't spoken about, is that I think at the some level, this all these abstractions need something to anchor uh, and that becomes the physical bodies. Like, that's why there's such interest in medical data, in getting into medical systems, like Palantir seems to be set to run NHS, like National Health Service for Britain. Because I think once you have, like, this anchoring in, in the body you can't discard, and there's a biological limit, it anchors these data abstractions. And... Um, the, the discarding is very interesting, you know, like I'm, um, I came to the internet, digital media in the 90s and for me, social media belonged to the generation of people who could never do social media because it's like impossible, it seems impossible, it's like spitting into eternity, you know, you, you, you spit and it's there forever and, and there was this true sense of forever and... Um, and of course, it appears that things actually get lost very quickly. And um, then, of course, another dimension is the, um, that it's ex exceptionally ecologically costly uh, to keep data and um, use it. And uh, these new models, um, like language models, GPT-3 models, um, this research to show like so it's like to run it for five minutes costs six hundred dollars <laughs> you know <laughs> and to train some to run it um can like for a certain period of time will produce the same carbon output as as an uh an, a transatlantic flight so you you have suddenly these kinds of limits as well to to to, to data that um yeah, I mean, it really poses questions of, of what is kept, what is discarded, how long it is kept for and discarded for and discarded, and how, how kind of whether it's completely deleted. And lots of this we don't know, actually, right? In areas like um, marketing and political communication, what's really valuable is the last two weeks. It's really not important to keep, no one will keep your data for years because it's not, uh, it's not Stasi, it's, they're not interested, it's very costly and you might change your mind and 
they want action like immediate like the next three days or the next few seconds it's always like in the extended now then there is scientific data that is produced according to certain criteria and and kept as as data sets and shared and there are open data initiatives and uh, so it's it's like a, a separate thing and then there are i think what what you were referring to in terms of like this for body types or also types of faces or different kinds of these are frameworks that are again it's not it's not about personal data it's about frameworks that are developed and they don't get folded into and and layered and folded into and get used and reused and it's like a, a cake with multiple layers so if we use an example of image recognition and um to do image recognition you you have to have a data set of images that is already labeled recognized and and then the model can be trained on this data set and then it can go and do things on its own so this data set for uh, there's this um uh, kind of one of the oldest one called ImageNet that was developed um by Fei-Fei Li and other people in Stanford and they um harvested these images from Flickr so these are Flickr images so okay if like we were just to think computer vision you know you can have computer vision that doesn't look like a human why does it have to be modeled on the human you can have you know like insects might have much more complex vision and you can have uh, like uh, vision that it completely exceeds human capacity it doesn't have to be at the level of the eye it could be from above from below inside whatever it's com- you know right? it's like free from the human but in fact if you take images from flickr what kind of images would you get the images that people just took of whatever it's not it will be the most mundane uninteresting uh, images in large quantities so you already have this body of stuff that is if i was <laughs> deciding or, or you how to construct a, a data set for image recognition would probably think oh it would be you know um interesting to to take images taken not by humans and uh, or take images from all the history of art or you know but that's not how it was done and then you have a lexicon uh from the 80s developed in in computational linguistics which is basically like a big dictionary which nests relations of meanings and words to each other and dis- and, and describes things so this in itself has been criticized because you can access it online and for you know a word man it has like 15 entries of what it might mean uh like a human or like an actor in cosmos and the woman is like five lines and it's all um defined in relation to the man a wife <laughs> a, like a companion to the man and so, th- so then what the team did to produce the image net is that first they tried to pay stanford students to sit there and label images with this typology of these words uh from th- this lexical system and it proved too expensive so at that point mechanical turk launched so they paid through mechanical turk to nameless people apparently as they say in 51 countries 52 countries to label this um images so not only you have this random images from flickr then you have this prob- very problematic 
classificatory system. And of course, these people, they work uh, at speed to earn something. So it, uh, there is a research by uh, Nicolas Malev who looked at how long people take to label an image, how accurate it is, all these kind of tests that were done. And so not only they work at speed, they might bring their own biases from wherever they are. And that is your data set on which you train things. So of course, kind of things remain in it and then get layered uh, onto onto other things and other things. So you have also, you have historical data in um, data sets, you have practices in sectors like that insurance would historically use neighborhood codes for assessment of financial credibility and, and this is especially in the US. Uh, where society is much more segregated so and they would use also historical data it's not like that everyone's personal data is kept ad infinitum and constantly consulted it's more like that it's very cacophonous actually it's not like very unified I don't think there's like one person that things can be attributed to it's and of course these companies use this idea of moving fast and breaking things so whatever works, whatever we can figure out now, like how, oh, let's try this model, oh, it's not working, let's try this model, oh, it's gone crazy, oh, let's try this model. So it's it's very dynamic and um, that's also the added difficulty why then people uh, feel like they don't know what, what happened or why it happened. And um, when very explicit bias is, remo- is revealed, they just choose to remove it rather than try to fix it. Like there was this case where, where Google Images identified black people as gorillas. They just removed that function to identify uh, people. They were not trying to fix it because it's just become too complex. It's impossible to trace where it comes from. But the thing is, like ImageNet is an open data set. It, it's been, uh, you know, the development in this field has run as like a sort of series of open competitions in, uh, uh, where programmers would use this to develop models and, and, and train uh, them and see what they do. And that's how, so it's kind of, it's not proprietary closed, at least in that uh, uh, instance. Um, so you can't even, and we know like this kind of things that I explained, it's quite easy to find out. Um, but then there are these things that are, uh, we don't know, like, uh, uh, especially like with Google AI, for instance. And yesterday I read that there was a, a, an engineer Google suspended because he started believing that the AI chatbot he was developing uh, is sentient. And uh, um, he was he made a series of aggressive moves, including trying to get a, a juridical representation for, for, for that um, bot. And... Um, so you, yeah, you, it make, makes you think, right? <laughs> so you have this kind of um, notion of the subject as really a cornerstone of Western metaphysics. I mean, everything is about the subject. The subject is how we experience the world, and it's also the possibility of, for construction of knowledge, of science. Uh, the, the birth of the kind of modern subject is the birth of of the way we understand the world is organized, that there is physical world, there is knowledge, there is practices of knowledge, the knowledge is in our head, like the entire infrastructure ontology is is all linked to this notion of, of, of the subject. It's really like the, the beginning of um, 
of the modern world. And I think once you have this um, AI complex machines and uh, machine machinic modeling, machine learning, the obvious step if you are married to this or if you are not critical enough of this production of the subject is to say, oh, we have a new subject and it's now the technology. So it's, of course, if, if the center of knowledge moves from the human to technology, that becomes a new subject and that's singularity. And what I'm saying is that actually we have subjects that are ideal subjects that are removed from the humans, they are weak subjects, they are not the subjects that are at the center of metaphysics, they are fuzzy, multiple, but we can still keep that kind of term to talk about these projections and these abstractions and just imagine them as something that is more at a distance from us and, um, and think about how production of this change the world or continue it or exceed something we know, maybe in a bad way, maybe in a good way. Um, so exploring kind of that, I think, is quite interesting because it's um, it involves resistance. You have to resist the, the kind of easy logic of like, oh, so human is superseded by machine, so the new subject is the machine. And that's the, then it's singularity in a way. The legal person is very interesting because the person in, in juridical terms is not you and me. It's a legal mask that is created in the court and you can feel quite alienated from it, actually. So the, and this term comes from uh, Roman law and uh, theater where the mask was used to, to, to allow you to perform someone else. So it's it's like at first uh, like a performance that allows you to perform someone else and then in in today's court it could also be used to, to represent a company or an animal or now like a river uh, ecosystem uh, they would all be legal persons so it's interesting to to think historically about already uh, that the subject doesn't coincide with the with the human that um, there are these legal persons that are constructed, for instance, or characters which also, there were all these kind of quite interesting arguments about how literary criticism should um, stop kind of treating readers as naive when they, when they think characters are almost alive that, um, and, and actually engage with this and think what does it mean, what is the, the character of the character. <laughs> What does it do as a fictional entity in the world? So at the beginning of this project, I was really uncertain whether I should actually use the term subject because it's um, if you talk to people, they usually are really keen on defending the, the human subject. And um, I started looking at all the histories in, in which subjects were already historically never something that coincides with the human and and I think literature can can do this and um, jurisprudence and of course art and um, I think with science fiction what's interesting is that um, I think the Silicon Valley ran out of ideas and we now are back into um, 
uh, like 90s, I mean the VR and the AR, I mean, you know, it's like, okay, so uh, it's like a 20 uh, year cycle. So, uh, and some of it is um, as if it's like lifted from science uh, fiction or from art practices, from media art of the 80s, 90s, and, and then uh, put into circulation again and again. And um, I think it's, uh, I would like to look into uh, science fiction for kind of um, exploring the possible future scenarios, uh, especially with um, this kind of hype around VR that uh, you uh, you are there as again a model of you, but more connected to you apparently, but also we're back like the discussions of avatars and I mean I haven't heard the word avatar for 20 years now I have avatars again so um, I think it's it's really uh, productive to look at um, science fiction and also uh, histories of media art to, to see this kind of new new hypes and where they're going and what will happen to, to the subjects and those because the promises they make or like the research is that you can reform abusers uh, because they get trained, they can get trained in like VR, you put a VR headset on and you are put in the body of a woman and someone, a man who's bigger than you comes close and shouts at you in VR and it's supposed to make abusers feel sympathy with empathy with the victim that they, they, that they normally in everyday life can't feel empathy and understand the other's point of view and psychology is now doing this kind of experiments where they claim you can rewire people in this way and it's also uh, kind of very sinister because it takes the the problem away from society and puts it into individual and um, and again constructs this subject which is constructed in a certain way so yeah What I'm doing in this project is really exiting my comfort zone and uh, not doing what is easy for me. I mean, but that's why it's also taken so long. So at some point I was thinking I'm doing some poetics of statistics, really, like um, reading statistics as poetics. And um, I'm not a statistician. So I, uh, st when I started looking into this, I realized I have to look kind of into the history of statistics and um, understand some of these things and I read some introductory level books on statistics and also on how machine learning exceeds statistics and in what way although building on it so I think um, I haven't looked uh, at the historical origin of data but I, I, I mean it's um, there's a, quite a lot of research that kind of points out how from its uh, origin in certain um, systems like recording of like do documentation, for instance, is um, uh, and given people doc identity, uh, documented identities in the documentary tradition and given people passports and is kind of linked to the emergence of modern state with its uh, function and um, and then uh, there's a lot of people who write about that would use Foucault with the kind of thinking about relation between knowledge and power and then uh, there is uh, quite a lot of historical studies that look at histories of in the 20th century of using data census and other kinds of um, 
statistical data or data gathered through insurance, uh, actuary industries, to racialize, to, uh, you know, incarcerate people. There's a lot of kind of violent histories of, of, um, of data. And there's quite a lot of books uh, that actually look into specific kind of systems and how they developed and what they were used for. Um, there is a book um, called If Then uh, that uh, looks at like previous but what it looks like it's that it was like what Cambridge Analytica things looked like previously because it was also done before even computers became powerful or big or available so I think a lot of this um, I look into this when I spend quite a lot of time trying to destabilize this <coughs> idea of digital subject as a copy of you and um, I think a lot of this is based on the on kind of our habits which are very deep that you know your life as a subject starts with a birth registration document where you have a name and you're assigned um, sex and date of birth and so it obviously has links to this history of documenting people and managing populations and I think our imagination of, of these practices is very much linked to this um, kind of practices that make us so unique and identifiable as and we can be put to prison uh, you know and uh, being given a, a prison sentence or a debt or uh, we are then subjects to this of the state that can be things can be done to uh, and uh, yeah what I found that a lot of um, systems don't record your your granular data like um, uh, or don't use it for purposes um, for for marketing or for addressing you like date of birth or, or sex uh, because it's not Google says like demographics is dead is not interesting anymore uh, it's not it's not useful it's not useful for the services because it doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything that you are born on this date and you are like a woman it could could be potentially interesting but more interesting is a set of interests you might have in common with other people that would make you into a group that is targetable and that is more responsive so it's not any more demography i think maybe a way to answer your question about the origin of data is that it starts from demographic data and uh, sciences that dealt with data historically is uh, sociology and psychology apart from sciences uh, and so they have an upper hand because they already have practices of looking at um, data and profiles and profiling and um, but what happens now exceeds all these practices and builds on them and incorporates them and then takes them somewhere else completely. It's interesting to think what makes things work and on what kind of demographic as well, because then how, say, conspiracy theories about uh, vaccines or um, Brexit vote uh, get circulated and also how they, um, I'm quite interested in thinking how they hook into people and specific kind of people. So it seems like a lot of, um, uh, sometimes it's older people and the argument is that they don't have the practice of um, 
filtering information or understanding where information comes from, they have respect for all information, even though it could would be um, from very uh, dubious sources. And if you look like at your aunt, who is, you know, uh, a totally nice, super nice, kind person who would give anything to anyone and, you know, would like be very kind and in no way is a racist in her personal life but then would start talking to you about these crazy things. Uh, um, and uh, I think there is a process through which this kinds of... It's almost like her subjectivity is at kind of going on its way, and then these ideal subjects come and call upon her and kind of say, well, shouldn't you be concerned about that? And she was like, oh, maybe. So it, it's like... Um, they call upon you they, and um, they might recognize something and give it a name and, and move people with them. It's not because these people are like this or um, they have this firm beliefs or something, but th there is this process of recognizing and approving, like affirming, affirming people. So I haven't done much thinking about it yet, but I'm, I'm, I, I think there is something about technology now and this ideal subject pro providing some kind of affirmation of you like your mother did you know <laughs> like a kind of loving um not loving but a kind of affirmation and 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 saying it's okay you know um yeah maybe you should be worried about this and it's okay to be worried about this there are other people worrying about it so there's like uh, this very intersubjective play going on and also because we are already again trained to need this and respond to this from birth um, because we don't exist as subjects in isolation we re respond to other people's praise we need love these children to develop uh, and, and have you know fulfilling lives and and i think that's why ideal is a good term because it it provides this kind of sense of goodness and the, the idea of ideal is good and, and useful and it provides you this option and, and recognizes and, and people can go kind of that way. You know, there would be data on where you live and what you earn, which is probably and your financial kind of capability and when you, how much you buy and, and at what points and whether you buy and follow certain pattern of looking for things and when you looked for things, you're likely to buy it. So there's no point advertising what you looked for two year, weeks down the line because it's important to do it now. So I don't think it's that complicated. I mean, the, the, the models might be complicated in the sense that they have to, to use lots of data points and compare data on other people and, and things like that. But I think conceptually it's not very complicated. It's not, um, I think we shouldn't give in to this idea, oh, I'm, they know about me and uh, because it's really just projections like um, writing this book I was kind of disappointed in in uh, how complex these things actually are because we are sold this idea of complexity incredible complexity that Google engineers don't know how things work that they are like this layers of neural networks that talk to each other somehow and we don't know what they talk about and how something gets gets made or search gets enacted and this, of course, this complexity, but I think at some level it's also um, 
maybe because it's driven by capitalist logic or political logic that's very clear you know the aim is to make you spend money the aim is to make you do certain thing or the aim is to put you in a certain position this kind of framing the the creation of this ideal subject makes it quite that's how we also can get a handle on it i guess because uh, and then in the end it's not completely super complicated because uh, you know what it's for right uh, it's not just to explore cosmos <laughs> it's to make money <laughs> or to ultimately always to make money for donors to politicians or whatever i mean um i think we need to resist a conspiracy uh model that there is like one unified aim and one unified mind who's mastermind in this once you start looking at practices they are very messy what you find a lot is that things don't work that's what's amazing that they barely work you know it's not like all functioning perfectly smooth total surveillance system and there seems to be a big divide between critical humanities scholars who kind of whether they want to not perpetuate this um idea of um um this kind of total capture which also m- f- makes you feel quite powerless and um people who look in detail and then they find a lot of mess and um a lot of kind of points of interference where also people can interfere and activists and software tools and stuff so i think it's kind of important to in a way keep both in a, in in some way like that to see the danger in this but also to see that it's um not a smooth one uh, kind of uh, system that runs everything mm-hmm.